Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these people. Lord, I just thank you that um, you're in charge of all things, that you're sovereign over everything, Lord. And as we delve into Daniel tonight and we look at um, standing firm in our faith and what it means to stand firm in our faith, God, I'd help, I pray that you'd help us to stand firm in our faith, God. And you'd help us to realize that we're not alone when we do walk through the fire, that you're with us and that you're going to use the fire for our good, Lord. So I just thank you for this message. I thank you for what it means to us today, God, and I pray that you bless these people and bless their finances, Lord, that they would be free in their area of finances, that we would walk in not only financial freedom, but we'd watch, walk in financial blessing, Lord, and I just thank you for everything you're doing, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I was telling Chris that I really like, um, I really like studying chapter by chapter because it makes me get kind of deep into things, you know, you can't just do superficial stuff. Because when you do chapter by chapter, you're forced just to look at the theme of the chapter, you know? Did any of you guys, when you were little, your parents read out um, Bible stories from the, a big Bible book? Do you, what, what did it look like? Okay. Yes. So my mom had this book that was this thick, and it was the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it was a picture book, and she would read it to us, or we would look at it before we went to bed or whatever, and I look back on that, on that, um, that book, and I'm like, it was really kind of graphic and gruesome. Like, I mean, it had, you know, like, Daniel in the lion's den, and Solomon cutting the babies in half, you know, and just stuff like that, and, I'm, and they were fascinating stories. It was a really good I guess, way to teach kids the stories of the Bible because you remember it. But I look back and think the Old Testament was really gruesome. Like, it, it could easily be turned into a TV miniseries and compete with anything out there. You know what I'm saying? I.e. Game of Thrones or something like that. I mean, you could take the Old Testament, and if you really portrayed what really went on, it would be as graphic as anything going on. And, and same thing with um, what we're going to talk about today, which is Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace and what that looked like. But to start out with, let's kind of backtrack and talk about just Daniel in general, because you guys haven't been here. Do you guys know the story of Daniel? Has your mom taught you all that stuff? Not to put you on the spot or anything. I'm going to do a recap. So the story of Daniel is there's, there's a king, Nebuchadnezzar, who goes into Jerusalem and captures all the people and er, not all the people but the high-ranking people and brings them over to his land and I was watching a guy preach today about Daniel and he said there the three kingdoms of the three kingdoms the Assyrians when they conquered a people they flayed them which do you know what that is I know I told you it could compete with Game of Thrones shred them the the um, Persians were good at crucifying but what the Babylonians did was they brainwashed people. So they didn't kill the people they conquered. They mixed them all up. And they brought over the, the high-ranking people into the land of Babylon. Gave them good jobs. They gave them nice houses. And they indoctrinated them into the culture of the time. And it made me really think, is that what the enemy does to us? Does the enemy try to bring us into Babylon and indoctrinate, indoctrinate us and brainwash us into kind of leaving our faith behind or coming out of a particular culture and embracing a pagan culture. And so it just kind of made me think about that. You know, Joyce Myers talks about the battlefield of the mind. 
right? And everything is a battlefield of the mind, right? Because everything starts in the mind and starts in the heart, and then all our behavior and our actions are kind of out of our heart and out of our mind. And so I think that's a very interesting tactic that Nebuchadnezzar did, which was he didn't especially oppress the people. He just brainwashed them. And these kids were 16 years old, you guys. They were your age. Imagine this. They were 16 years old. You left the United States of America, and you were transported over to Saudi Arabia, and you became, um, you became counselors and students in the court of what would, what would that be? What would the, not a king, a, um, what's the name of the royalty in Saudi Arabia? Is it king? King. And, that, and you served on his court, and you never saw your mom again, ever. That's, what, that's the book of Daniel. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were all exiled and taken over when they were about 16 years old. So, oh, don't, don't tell them. Let's not tell them that, Chris. That would be real scary for them. What'd you say? Hmm? No, I'm talking about what happened to the young men when they were put into the, into the, um, the um, king's court to make sure they wouldn't ever have eyes for the ladies. You know what they did? Yeah, okay. Snip. So, yeah, they just got it. <laughs> yes. Probably I did it to all of them. Because, here's the thing, they want... <laughs> Seriously, you, they don't want them to be focused on anything except what the king wants them to do. And actually, there was some honor in being chosen to, to serve the king and to be a wise man, an astrologer, and to be um, somebody that was practiced in the occult arts. And they had, they had high positions. They just didn't have that aspect of their life anymore. And Daniel probably for sure. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But... So here's what we got in chapter 1. We have the story of how they're brought over into Babylon. Chapter 2, we have the story of the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a statue with, there's Tim Dietz, with, with um, four different materials, gold, silver, bronze, iron. And then we have how Daniel interprets that dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar says in, that, he says in chapter 2, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. That's in Daniel 2, 47. So in chapter 2, we have this idea that Daniel is beginning to show King Nebuchadnezzar that, there's, that there is a God above all other gods. Because remember in the Old Testament, there were many, many idols that people worshipped, especially in the pagan land. It was very common that you might have your own God, and you might have your own God you worship, and you might have a household God you worship, and then there was a national God. So you had a lot of different gods you were paying attention to. And so one thing that Yahweh, the only God, was trying to do was to communicate to, to not only Israel, but to the pagan um, countries around Israel that there is only one God, and he's supreme, and he's over every other demonic influence in the world, and his name is Yahweh. And this is what one of Daniel's um, roles to King Nebuchadnezzar is to teach and show King Nebuchadnezzar there is only one God, and he's supreme. So we see in chapter 2 
that, that Daniel's able to interpret this dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's beginning to go, oh, your God is somebody. Your God is somebody. And so we interpret this dream about the statue. But what does King Nebuchadnezzar do in chapter 3? So in chapter 3, I don't know why, but he decides that he's going to, he's going to build a golden statue. Do you want to put, that, put our two things up there? The golden statue was 60 cubits by 6 cubits. Janet, you'll like this. This is one of the first places where the number 6 is introduced, which is the number of man. Interesting. I would normally say that to Nathan, but I'm saying that to you, Janet. So can you put the, picture up, the pictures I sent you? You want to know how tall 90 feet is? Okay, so can you guys see that? That's that horrible blue statue out by the um, airport. That's, that's 30 feet tall, so the statue would be three times that. So that kind of gives you an idea, that horrible statue. Now that, can you see it? That's called Our Lady in the Rockies or something like that. And that's in, um, on the, um, no, it's on, um, it's not here. It's um, Our Lady of the Rockies, and it's in Butte, Montana, on the Continental Divide. So somebody, that is actually 90 feet tall. That's exactly 90 feet tall. That's how tall the statue was that um, Nebuchadnezzar built. If you want to hit the lights, you could tell. But my point to you is, that's really tall. And it was golden, which is either pure gold or gold overlaid. And what... Um, scholars think is that Nebuchadnezzar got this idea from his dream, right? But apparently, yeah, can you see better? Yeah, this looks, it looks like there's people right there. Oh, yeah, can you see people right there, kind of? So that's pretty tall. But what's so interesting is here, here he has had this dream, Daniel's interpreted it for him and said it's the, gold, the head is gold, the, the chest is silver, the arms are bronze, the thighs are iron or whatever, but he decides just to build a golden statue. So the idea is that for some reason he took this dream seriously that he had the best kingdom of all, so he's going to build just a golden statue that everybody has to bow down and worship, which is kind of interesting that he didn't maybe get the true meaning of that dream, you know. But this just shows you that Nebuchadnezzar is still um, very pagan. He's very um, arrogant. He, you know how power corrupts absolutely? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. How we've seen maybe different leaders or different, even Hollywood um, people, when they have a lot of money and a lot of power, they go off and do all kinds of crazy things and no one can tell them different, right? Because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's kind of where we are with Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's like, oh, I had this dream where my kingdom is the best of all kingdoms. I'll just set up a statue, and we're all going to worship it. Now, just so you know, this statue is probably not, um, it may or may not have been a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar because it, it was only nine feet wide. So it was 90 feet tall, but only nine feet wide. It might have just been a pillar. It might have been a pillar with him on top of it, but it probably was not proportions are too weird to be an actual person that makes sense Janet this is for you it was preceded there were how many instruments that were played um, what was the number of the instruments played that would precede the worship six 
the number of man. Isn't that interesting? So when you would hear these six, um, the lyre, the harp, the blah, 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 when you would hear that, you were supposed to bow down and worship the statue. So Nebuchadnezzar says, here's what we're, what we're going to do. We're going to set up this huge statue. I want everyone to worship it. If you don't worship, when you hear these six musical instruments played, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. So what happens is they have their dedication, their inauguration time of um, the golden statue. Everyone bows down except guess who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men, young men from Jerusalem who would not worship the statue. So, here's what I take away from that. And what, what happened was, all, the, um, all of the foreign and pagan advisors to the king said, hey, the Jews that you brought in over here and you've exalted to high places, they're not worshiping like they're supposed to worship. What are you going to do about it? Nebuchadnezzar brings them in front of him and he says, why are you not doing this? I told you that when you hear all these musical instruments, you're to bow down and you're to worship this golden whatever it was. And they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. We're just not going to do that. We don't believe in that. We're not going to do it. And we don't care what you do to us. But we, we know that our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to do it. And you know what Nebuchadnezzar did? He got so mad that he stoked that fiery furnace seven times. Stoked it even hotter and threw them in. So that the people that threw them in were burned up themselves. The strong men. He said he got strong men. He bound them up in their clothes. Usually you take the clothes off people. He was so mad and he wanted it done so fast, he bound them in their clothes, their hats, their turbans, their shoes, everything, and threw them into the fiery furnace. But they didn't burn up. So what I get from that is point number one. We're going to experience flames too in our life. Who here has experienced any kind of fire or flame in their life? I like how JR says, if you haven't experienced it, just hold on because you will experience it. And this kind of brings to mind, um, I was reading in Philippians, and I thought this was really pertinent. Philippians 1.29, For God has graciously given you the privilege not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. For you have been called by him to endure the conflict in the same way I have endured it, for you know I am not giving up. And so this kind of brings up this idea of suffering, you guys. What do you think about suffering? Is suffering something that we're called to? Something, is suffering something we can escape as Christians? I kind of actually believe that as Christians, we're actually going to be called to join in the sufferings with Christ. We can expect sufferings. We can expect suffering as part of our Christian walk. Because we're going to be persecuted, at, at the very least, for our Christianity, for who we are. And at the most, we're going to experience worse than that. But I think, I actually believe, I don't actually buy into the whole idea that if you're a Christian, it's going to be all roses and unicorns and snowflakes and all that kind of stuff. Be well, however you say it. Yeah. Because um, I don't think that God calls us out of the world to escape suffering. I think that we actually are called to endure suffering the way that Christ endured suffering. If we're going to be um, experiencing the overcoming power of Christ, 
we also have to experience the suffering of Christ. I actually think that's part of the whole package. And that's not popular to say. Because people want to talk about all the overcoming and all that, but they don't want to talk about the call to suffering. Are you guys following me at all? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? You don't like it? Yeah. I don't like it either, but I think it's still there. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, count it all joy. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading this, I was like, <sighs> I remember when Jerry used to say that, and my life was totally rosy. And I was like, I don't want any suffering. My life is fine. And people would say, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm like, why do you want to go to heaven? Why aren't you enjoying life right now? Now I get what they're saying. Because I've been through some fire. And I've been through some flames. Where when you're in that furnace, you're like, I can't. Why is my life like this? I'm a Christian. I've tried to live my life right. I know Jesus. Why am I in the furnace? Why am I in the flames? What? Uh-huh. Yeah. So my response to you is this. I think that sometimes God allows it. Like maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was allowed. Job, correct. Um, I believe that we live in a fallen world, and so sometimes we're victims of a fallen world. I don't believe God's the author of suffering, but I do believe that there is a, a suffering servant um, that I do believe that if we're going to share in, in who Christ is, we also share in his suffering. In the, in the sense that Christ was persecuted for who he was and what he did. And we're going to share in that if, we are gonna, if we're going to be represented as Christians. That's part of being a Christian. Does that make sense? That the world is going to despise us for that. The way they despise Christ. Does that answer? Do I think God's the author of that? I do not. Do I think God allows it? I do. I do. Right. And making me, I'll jump ahead to this. I think that um, God is so sovereign that he uses everything for our good and that we forget about that. And when we're in the flames, we are so focused on the flames, we're not thinking about how sovereign he is and what he's going to do outside of the furnace, which is what we're going to get to a little bit later. Because um, we forget. It's the battlefield of the mind. It's the brainwash, the world who has us thinking on even just natural terms and not supernatural terms, kind of like what you were talking about, Janet. We don't know if there's going to be an 89-year-old lady in the hospital when we go and we're obedient to go to the hospital and do what we're called to do. We only know when we get there, right? Like we don't know. You didn't know in the car that you're going to meet an 89-year-old who's going to be so open to, to the Lord. You are only doing what God called you to do. And I think that when we're in the furnace of life, we can get really focused on the heat and the flames, and we don't understand that God's going to do something outside of the furnace. And it's, and it's going to be fantastic because our eyes are too um, naturally bound. The other thing that I liked about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were like, listen, uh, we're not going to do what you want us to do, and we know our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to do what you said. 
And it's like, Job, even though you slay me, yet will I trust you. It's this firm faith that says, you know, I don't know the outcome of this, but I'm, I'm going to stand. Here's where I stand. I'm going to stand. And I'm going to be who you called me to be. I think sometimes we get really um, wrapped up in this physical, natural world, and we forget there's a whole eternity ahead of us. And so we look at how much money we're making and how thin we are and what kind of car we drive and all those crazy, really breath, just, just nothing in the, in the landscape of time. It's nothing. And that's what we think about. And there's people like Job and these three men who are like, yeah, we're living for eternity. Even though you slay me, yet will I serve you because I'm going to have an eternal focus. This life is but a breath. It's but a breath. And what am I going to have that's eternal that goes to heaven with me? My faith, my commitment, my love. You know, and I, I think that sometimes when we're in the flames, we get really earthly bound. It's easy, to, especially when you're sick. Especially, I know, when you're physically sick, that's the biggest distraction, one of the biggest distractions there can be. You're so into your physical, the way you physically feel. It's hard to be eternally minded. But I think this is a good reminder that we need to be eternally minded when we're in the flames, when we're in the fire. Got me way off track there for a second. You know, Nebuchadnezzar said to the, to the boys, the men, he said, yeah, what God will be able to deliver you from my hand? Was he arrogant or what? He had just had that dream. It had just been interpreted. He goes, yeah, who, who's going to deliver you from my hand? I'm the most powerful king in the land, and you think you're going to defy me? I'm going to heat that oven up seven times hotter, and I'm going to throw you in, and you are going to burn to ashes. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Point number two, we won't go through the fire alone. Here's what Shadrach me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the image of gold you have set up. We will not worship your gods. This was as much a, um, a sign to King Nebuchadnezzar, not only that they were going to serve Yahweh, but they were also not going to serve the national god. Because what this really was, was a test of loyalty. This, this pillar of gold or the statue of gold he set up was not just, um, hey, I want you to worship this, but it's this particular god supersedes all your national gods. So you have your little national god, but you will always give preference to this god. And you will give preference to me as your king when I say you will worship this god. So what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing, not only saying we're not going to worship any other god but our own, but you can't make us. Like, we're, your, our loyalty to you is not the most important thing. We're going to be loyal to God first. It was, it was a real slap in the face to Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't just we're standing on our religious grounds. It was a political statement as well. It was a loyalty statement as well. And so that's why he was so, so mad. He's used to absolute power corrupts absolutely. 
He's used to people saying, yes, sir. Jump? How high do you want me to jump? I'll jump. He's used to people doing whatever he told them to do, and they said, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And he was mad. King Nebuchadnezzar, dead in the ground. So what we see is um, the, there, uh, apparently the furnace is this kind of furnace where you throw people in the top. This is kind of gross. Throw people in the top. It's like a, where they made bricks, apparently. You throw people in the top, but then you can see what's going on when they get to the bottom. So what happens is, this picture with me, you guys, they're bound with their clothes, their turbans, their cloaks, their shoes, every single thing they have on, and like Mimi says, it makes them burn even faster, okay? They, the, the men that bind, they bind them up with rope, and the men that throw them in, the fire is so hot, the men perish, okay? So the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go down to the bottom of the furnace, and now the king looks in, and he says, wait a minute, I see four men inside, not three men, and they're, they're loosed, the, the ropes have burned off, the clothes haven't burned off, the ropes have burned off, and they're walking around in the fire. They're walking around in the fire. See, he's, and the fourth man has the face of a son of the gods. So there's something incredibly angelic or something about the fourth person. Now, a lot of scholars think this is a theophany. What is a theophany? Theophany is a, is a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ, usually in the Old Testament. Examples of a theophany are going to be things like the um, fiery bush that Moses talked to, the bush that was on fire. The angel of the Lord that would come and visit Abraham was often um, a representation of the pre-incarnate Christ. The pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert is, a, is called a theophany. So most people believe that the fourth man in the fiery furnace was Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, walking around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's what I want to talk about from this, you guys. They were in the fire, but their ropes had burned off, and their clothes had not, and they were walking around in the fire. And what this says to me is God can use the fire to burn off whatever binds you. So sometimes we have to go through the fire so that God can burn off what we're in bondage to. And this is an answer to your question, um, Mimi. I think that sometimes God allows us to go through the fire because we have bondage in our lives that has to be burned off. Does that make sense? Sometimes, you know, we go through the fire for four different reasons, you guys. Because we live in a fallen world. As a victim of our own decisions, what somebody else has done to us, I guess just three, what somebody else has done to us, we, or, and then just circumstantially. Sometimes when we have put the bondages on ourselves, God has to let them burn off. God has to allow us to go through the fire to burn off those bondages. Does that make sense? Sometimes when we go through because of what other people have put us through or because we live in a fallen world, God is taking us to the next place. We can't get to promotion till we've gone through the fire because going through the fire leads to promotion. And so we need to burn off 
the things that bind us, our, our bondages, in order to be promoted. And I believe that's what's, what happened there. They, this is a picture of them saying, we are free in our fire. Our bondages have been burned away. We're completely free, and God is with us. Jesus himself is with us. The scriptures say, this is so good. This is what Moses said to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I, this is one of my favorite ones. When we're in the fire, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. There's covenant promises that God has made to both Old Testament believers and New Testament believers. And the one that you can take to the bank is he will not leave you and he will not forsake you, no matter why you're in the flames. You can be in the flames for your own self or because somebody else put you in the flames, like King Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And what he's going to do is transform you in the fire. You know, um, I was trying to think of a modern-day fiery furnace, and I was thinking about that guy who um, owns the bakery, Masterpiece Bakery, up in, is it Golden? I don't know. He was, um, he just, they just had a Supreme Court case. You guys know what I'm talking about? He just had a Supreme Court case where he, um, a couple, same-sex couple came in and wanted him to make a wedding cake. He said, I'm sorry, I don't make wedding cakes for same-sex marriages. I'll make you any other cake you want. I can't do that. And they filed a uh, complaint against him. And the Colorado Commission um, actually fined him and said, you have to make cakes for same-sex marriages. And you have to do a retraining um, of all your employees. I think he had 10 employees at the time. Um, and so they, and he quit, they, he quit making uh, wedding cakes because he wouldn't, he would not make, if he, if he was going to make wedding cakes, he had to make them for same-sex. So he quit making wedding cakes in general. He lost 40% of his business because of that. It went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said that the Colorado um, Commission had been hostile to religion and reversed the order in Colorado. That just happened on June 4th, you guys. And it was about four years, four years after the incident. That's how long he was in this um, legal battle. And it was, I'm sure it was a huge fire for him, a, a huge fiery furnace for him. And we don't know what the outcome of that's going to be right now. We know that that's on the court. That's on the books. Jay's a lawyer, so she knows how important that was for precedent's sake. But um, we don't know yet what's going to come out of that. But I imagine that was really, really stressful for him and his family to lose 40% of your income. He laid off all of his employees except for his wife and his daughter. He got hate mail. He got people threatening his life and his daughter's life. He had all kinds of horrible things happen to him because of this incident. Now, he had a lot of people come forward and um, support him. But I can't imagine how horrible that's been for him, how much stress that's been on for him. But this is what I do know. God's going to use that for his good and for a lot of other people's good. For him standing up for what he believes, and for him standing for whether you agree with what he did or not, he was doing it out of pure heart, a pure motive. And I believe that there's going to be reward for him for that. 
I really, really do. I believe that God has been with him that whole time, will continue to be with him, and he's going to see some kind of fruit and harvest from that down the road where he's going to be like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And he's going to go to a deeper place with the Lord because of what he go. I think about the father of the Columbine girl who had now has this incredible ministry. After, what's her, what was her first name? Rachel. And he read her diary. Remember that? And he, there was a movie about it. And he goes around and he ministers to all these churches now out of that tragedy. I cannot imagine that kind of tragedy, but look what God did with it. Look how God redeems our fiery furnaces into something incredible. If we would but remember that it's a battlefield of the mind and that God is in control of all things and works all things for good, it's just hard to remember when you're going through it. Flames, the third thing is flames often precede promotion. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the, uh-oh, most high God. What happened? All of a sudden he goes, wait a minute. I do remember maybe there is another God who's higher than all of these gods here. Yes. So now he says, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, followers of the most high God, come out of the furnace. They were so content in the furnace, they were just walking around in it. He had to call them out. He had to say, come out of the furnace. I know you're in there with Jesus. I know you're not, you don't have any, um, you know, ropes on you. Come out, I want to talk to you. He had to call them out. I think that's funny. Come out, come here. So two things happen as a result of this. God is praised. From their obedience... Now Nebuchadnezzar is saying, oh, wait a minute, I remember now. There is another God, super, super powerful. There is another God. God is praised. We're going to see in chapter 4 that God has a field day with, um, literally, with Nebuchadnezzar as he turns him into a crazy person for seven years. But God is after Nebuchadnezzar. Let me tell you something. God is not just after the people who have already responded to him. He's after everybody. He's after the, he's after the people he's in covenant with. And he's after the pagan people that he's not in covenant with because he loves them. Because he's put them in authority and he's sovereign and he's not going to forget about them. And this is an example of the government rulers. Think of all the government rulers we have in authority right now. God is after them to show them that he is God. That they may have some authority. And this is what's happening with Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, God is saying, I need you to remember who I am king. I put you in charge. You need to remember me. The second thing is, not only is God praised, but God's people are promoted. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is funny, to be cut into pieces and their house be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. He was a super gruesome person, wasn't he? There was, it was all or nothing for him. There was never any, like, mild punishment. It was always 
You're going to be burned up. You're going to be cut into pieces. Your house will be turned into rubble. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Sometimes, you guys, the greater call in your life, the greater persecution in your life. Anybody got an amen about that? Sometimes the greater call in your life, the greater persecution in your life. Sorry. You know, again, we don't live just in a natural world. We live in a supernatural world. And the enemy can see who you are as much as God can. And he can see the call, and he can see the gifts. He can see who you are in the spiritual, and sometimes the enemy is going to come after you. I'm real, real sorry to tell you that. But that also means you have a really big call on your life. And a lot of times, going through the flames is what you have to go through before your next assignment in life, before your next promotion in life. It's just the way it is. I don't think God causes it. I don't think he's the author, but he uses it. And we live in a much bigger story than what we think. We're so narrow-minded in our own story, and we just think about ourselves. But like Janet said, we don't know who we're going to touch. We don't know if we're going to touch an 89-year-old lady who's ready to receive Jesus at that moment. And God's got such a much bigger story. It's a much bigger tapestry than what we even see. And the enemy sees it, you guys. But God sees it as well. And God says, oh, wait a minute. What the enemy does, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to use it for something greater. Do you guys remember um, Corey Ten Boom? Do you, remember, do you know who Corey Ten Boom is? She was, uh, um, her, her sister and her dad um, hid Jews during World War II in their home. And they were finally um, discovered and they were taken to a concentration camp where her father and her sister died in the concentration camp. And she was actually released by mistake. She lost her whole family. She wasn't married, but she lost her whole family to um, Hitler, basically. But she went on to be one of the most powerful speakers and evangelists for Jesus that we've ever heard of or seen. And someone who could actually, she actually met her guard and um, pronounced forgiveness over him. Incredible testimony for what she went through. Just incredible. You know um, Charles Colson? You know what he went through? The Watergate scandal? He was caught up in the Watergate scandal, went to prison. I don't know how many years he went to prison. What did he start in prison? Prison ministry fellowship or whatever it is. To where he started a ministry to all the prisoners. And when he got out, he has a huge nonprofit where he still ministers. I think, I don't know if Angel Tree is part of his. Do you guys know if that is? But is it Angel Tree? Pardon me? Yeah, Angel Tree is where they get the, um, the presents for the prisoners' kids and stuff like that. That wouldn't have happened. It might not have happened if he didn't go to prison. Now, we can say this is something of his, this is a circumstance of his own choice. He didn't have to do what he did in Watergate. He didn't have to participate in illegal activities. That was part of his personal responsibility. But God got a hold of him in prison, and God turned him around and did something incredible outside of that fiery furnace. And I bet you, <laughs> I'll bet you, I know Beth Moore says this, Beth Moore went through horrible um, sexual abuse as a child, horrible sexual abuse by a relative. But out of it came an incredible ministry. And she says, even to this day, she goes, had I to do it over, I wouldn't choose anything different because the fruit had been so much after that. And I wonder if Charles Colson would say that as well. If I had to choose it over, I wouldn't choose anything different. 
because of what has come out after it. And I think the lesson in this, chap this chapter 3 of Daniel is this. We're all going to go through fiery furnaces, every single one of us. How we handle it is important. That we remember Jesus is always with us is important. And we have to remember that it's a key to our promotion. That's what's going to take us to our next assignment, is going through the fiery furnace. And that we can trust God when we're inside the fiery furnace. Like he says, he will never leave us or forsake us. And he's working it out for the next place for us to go. The other thing I just want to close with this, which I think is interesting. I, I thought it was interesting that it was the three of them together. It wasn't, Daniel's nowhere in this story, actually. We don't even know where Daniel is. He might be off on a vacation. I mean, who knows, right? We know that he's writing it. We know that he probably has some knowledge of it. But he's not part of the story. It's just about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And after this chapter, you never hear from him about him again in the book of Daniel. This is the last place you hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what I thought was interesting, it was the three of them together. See, now the four of them had come from Jerusalem, Daniel, and then those three. But I thought it was interesting that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all three were firm and steadfast. It wasn't just Shadrach. It wasn't just Meshach. It wasn't just Abednego. It was all three of them together. And what I think that talks about is a community. We had good community last night, didn't we? Mimi, we had some good community. <laughs> Sometimes it takes having really strong community that you lock arms with and you walk lockstep into that furnace together. Right? We've walked lockstep into a furnace together, haven't we, girl? And you know what? you got to have your community so that you can stand firm when Nebuchadnezzar comes after you and when all the people hate you, come after you. You need to have a community that you lock arms with and say, we're standing firm together. Together we're going through the fiery furnace. We're going to believe God for our deliverance, and we're going to go to the next place together. Right? I think that's one of the most important lessons we can get from this is that we have to have our community, or it's just too hard. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that chapter 3 because it helps me remember I've got to keep my mind on eternity and not on natural things. Remember that God's never going to leave me. And I will go through another furnace, and it's real hard to even think about that sometimes. But I'm going to go through another furnace. But I'm going to try to remember that I, it's for my good. I'm going, I'm going to the next place after this. God's name will be praised, and I'm going to be promoted. So that's what I'm going to pray for you guys. So pray with me. Lord, I just pray. For the fiery furnaces that we're going to end up going through, Lord. <laughs> I pray that you would help us to remember that ultimately you're in control. There's no King Nebuchadnezzar that's more in charge than you, that's greater than you. That you're in control. And no matter what, we can trust you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. God, I pray that you would give us community that we could walk into the fiery furnace together with and come out unscathed with and rejoice together with for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you that you promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be leaders all over Babylon. And so, Lord, you will do the same with us, God. You'll take us to the next place. You'll promote us to our next place, Lord, if we'd only but trust you and see where you're doing and keep our mind focused on eternity and not on natural things, Lord. I just bless these people, God. I thank you for who they are. Thank you for their destiny that you've laid out in front. I pray that you'd open the doors of destiny for them that no man can close. No man, Lord. And I just bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen.